This is the Publicity for Pet Businesses podcast with Rachel Spencer. Listen in each week for tips on ways to win media coverage and create content to make sure your pet business stands out from the competition. Hi and welcome to the show. So in this episode, I'm going to be talking about do's and don'ts when it comes to dealing with journalists. And I'm going to be sharing lots of tips that I have kind of come up with myself from working as a journalist for many years. And also some advice that I've gleaned from my colleagues as well But when it comes to um, what journalists look for and what they don't look for when it comes to um, dealing with members of the public, professionals, experts and all that kind of thing. So the reason why I've decided to record this episode now is we are in February 2021 um, and yesterday, I'm recording this on the 15th of Feb, yesterday there was an article in the Sunday Times newspaper which if you're in the UK you'll be familiar with, it's a very big, very well respected newspaper here in the UK Um, and on the front page there was a story about Down Boy, how to survive your puppy's first year. So it you pick up the paper, you think, okay, this is an expert guide on how to survive your puppy's first year. And when you go to the actual page, it's written by a sports commentator called Andrew Cotter. So he's not a dog training expert or qualified to give advice. He's a sports commentator. However, Andrew writes this column. He writes a monthly, uh, sorry, a weekly column in the Times magazine about all kinds of things around dog ownership, around life as a dog owner, um, his own experiences. He's also written a book called Olive, Mabel and Me about his experiences with his own two dogs. So he is hired to write the dog column every week in the Sunday Times. So that's just to give you a bit of context. Now in this column, he gives his advice on your puppy's first year, a survival guide. And it's caused a little bit of controversy because he isn't a dog trainer, he isn't a dog behaviourist, he isn't qualified to give this advice and some people have seen the advice as being quite outdated, him talking about methods that aren't really used anymore or that people disagree with. Um, Now in his defence I have to say he does, I do believe he makes it very clear that he is not an expert so he says in the copy I certainly don't purport to be an expert simply because I've made a few videos involving dogs people decide I must be an authority on them. He then adds there are plenty of genuine canine experts out there obviously vets being at the top of the tree and then before he goes into his advice he says I offer these wise yet utterly unqualified words. Then he goes into his advice but I can see where some pet professionals are coming from when they say you know people might read his advice and go and follow it because he is He's obviously got an outlet there in a massive newspaper and magazine. He's on the TV. He's seen as an authority. People look up to him. So there we have it. Now, why did I decide to do this, work work that into a do's and don'ts episode? So the reason behind that is I saw a lot of people go on social media and send, talk about sending messages to Andrew Cotter, calling him out on Twitter for not being an expert, calling him out for saying things that they didn't agree with, saying things that they believe were wrong. And I I believe if you want to connect with journalists and you want to build a relationship with them, doing things like that is a massive don't, okay? So if you felt very strongly about what he had to say in that instance, the best thing for you to have done would have been to send a calm message maybe putting yourself forward as a dog behaviour expert for the next time he's covering that topic. Calling him out on Twitter, basically sending, you know, highlighting to his hundreds of thousands of followers that he got it wrong isn't, I don't believe, the way you should deal with that situation. So 
on Monday morning, um, had a bit of a discussion in my private membership Facebook group about it. And lots of the trainers there highlighted the fact that they were concerned about the advice he was giving, that some of the things were outdated. So I thought, right, actually, rather than let people go into the wild west of the internet and get caught up in all of these discussions, why don't we turn this into something positive? So what I actually did for them is I did a, um, I did a script for a phone call and I did an email template so they could get in touch with their local paper because local papers love to follow up on stories that are in the nationals. So I thought they could get in touch with the local paper with a local dog training expert's angle on a national story and actually turn something that they might have found frustrating into an opportunity for them. So they had the, the script, they had the email template and off they've gone and they've gone and pitched to their local papers. So that's my do's and don'ts row, uh, rant even at the beginning over with. That's a bit of context to why I'm sharing this episode. Um, and I'm now going to go into the do's and don'ts when dealing with journalists. And then I also want you to have a think about, you know, if you are a dog trainer or a pet professional and you're seeing somebody who appears to be on the TV all the time or on the radio or in newspapers all the time and you think, why is it always them? Why don't I get a look in? I would really love for you to go and have a look at what they've done to get them to where they are today and go and try and follow the same steps that they followed. You might really disagree with their methods. You might disagree. You might think they should never be anywhere near the TV. You might think they're awful, but just go and have a look at what they've done and learn from them and think about how you can do it for your business and how you can become an authority as well, because they will all have started somewhere. They will not have gone from, you know, leaving dog training college to being on Channel 5 or being on, you know, BBC One or whatever, they will have, there will have been a path that they will have followed. So if you're looking at another dog trainer or a pet professional and you're thinking, why is it always them? Have a look at what they've done and go and try and emulate them. This is what I do with the people who I have in my membership and they're going, they're going great guns at doing this and building authority for them. But rather than get caught up in discussions about why other people are wrong, actually think, okay, how can I get my, how can I get my voice out there? How can I get my expertise out there? So now that's my little rant over. I want you to spend your time wisely. I want you to get great things from it. I want you to be on TV or on the radio or in the paper. And that's what this podcast is all about. So that's me off my little soapbox for now. And I'm going to go through my do's and don'ts for when dealing with journalists and as I say it's not just my opinion it is from other journalists as well I always like to bring in other people and get their advice when um, I'm recording podcasts like this ah so first thing I'm going to say to you is just be yourself so if you're being interviewed whether it's on the radio in a magazine for a newspaper for a blog then do just be yourself show your personality and you know be you don't feel like you have to be all stuffy and corporate and you know perfect just be yourself and show your personality and you know let get excited about your topic just be yourself because there is only going to be one you isn't there and you want to be memorable you want to stay in that journalist's mind you want to make an impression so first thing up is to just be yourself the next thing to think about is if you're being interviewed is to have lots of great anecdotes and examples to share so let's say if you are a dog trainer and you specialize in working with barking dogs if you've got some great anecdotes to share great examples of dogs who you may have worked with who went from being very reactive to being really calm and contented and really well behaved then share those personal stories share those examples um, because people love that it builds connection let's say if you were um, I once did this story years ago about a dog who was going to be put to sleep at a local animal shelter because it was so scared of the groomers 
got really, really matted and was in a real, really, really bad way and was handed into an animal shelter because his owners were going to put him to sleep. Anyway, he was adopted by the groomer who used to go and help out at the animal shelter. So that was a really lovely anecdote. So imagine that groomer, if they were being interviewed about, a, you know, about a story about, you know, where they'd helped a dog, they could use that personal anecdote. They have obviously have the photos of the before and the afters as well. That's a really great anecdote to share about, you know, what them as a groomer, really putting their personality into it and really, you know, just creating a story that people are really going to relate to and, and also quite heartwarming as well, isn't it? Um, Another do is to have stats and facts to hand. So we've just been doing loads of things around the puppy pandemic, haven't we, um, over the last few, over the last year now. Um, now, if you go and Google, you will find loads of stats and figures about the increase in prices of puppies, the increase in demand, the, um, you know, the, the difference in certain breeds, how much, you know, I was reading earlier on today about how it's like 89% more for a dachshund than it was this time last year. Um, you know, stats around puppies being handed into rescue centres, rescue centres struggling and so on. To so have that kind of really helpful information handy if you're talking about a topic um, to a journalist because, you know, saving them, it's you're going to look brilliant because you're actually helping them with their research. Another topic might be, you know, dogs and pets being stolen. So there's been some stats out from Dog Lost um, who help reunite missing pets with their owners. And I think they found that there's been a 170% increase in dogs going missing, being stolen in lockdown. So again, really helpful stat if you're talking about that topic. Um, the next do is to be passionate about your topic. So don't be boring. Like people want, journalists want to speak to people who get excited about what it is that they do. So whether you are a, you know, a cat groomer or whether you make pet products or whatever it is that you do, be enthusiastic, be passionate, get excited about it. You know, particularly if you're doing radio or, or you know, TV or anything like that as well. Like people don't want to listen to people who are just boring and droning on and being all stuffy. You, they want to hear from people who are passionate and who get really, really excited about what it is that they do. That passion will come through in the interview and then that passion might translate into people, you know, joining your email list, going to your website, going to check you out on social media, recommending you to friends. That's really, really important, isn't it? So the next do is to have photos that tell your story. So let's say if you were telling, let's say I did a story probably about 18 months ago now, about a dog trainer called Dominic Hodgson. And he was going on a tour to rescue. So he was basically going on a, on a bike ride around lots of different rescue centres. And the idea of the tour to rescue was so he could highlight what rescue centres were struggling with. This was before lockdown. This was like September 2019. Um, so he was going around on his bike, highlighting the struggles that rescue centres were facing, raising money for them, getting people to, you know, donate, getting people to think about volunteering. It was a really, really amazing story. So what pictures do you think we needed to have with that? We needed Dominic on his bike and Dominic with his rescue dog. And then obviously he was going out and doing live stuff while he was on the road. So he was having photos taken at the rescue centre, having video, that kind of thing. But always make sure that you've got photos that tell your story. Um, another thing is to always have high resolution pictures as well, have decent high resolution pictures. So if you've got these ready, you know, ready to send to a journalist, you're going to be much more likely to go and get your feature in the paper rather than somebody else who, you know, rather than if you don't have high resolution pictures, because ultimately they're going to need photos to go with the story, aren't they? Um, 
Another really important thing to do is to keep it simple. So let's say if you're talking about, let's say if you're talking about, you know, dog training, if we were talking about, you know, how to train your puppy or how to stop your puppy being naughty, just do it in really, really simple language. Explain everything in layman's terms. Try to be as relatable as possible. Don't talk about like, so don't talk about things like behaviour quadrants or anything that's going to be confusing to the man on the street or indeed the journalist. Talk about, you know, reward-based training, give the dog a treat if it's well behaved. Really, really keep it simple. Um, when I was training as a journalist, you know, we used to always be told that, you know, imagine that the reader had just kind of dropped down from Mars. Don't assume that they know anything. So like one of the things, I think I probably talked about this on the podcast before, but um, one of the things I had when I... Um, had training for Patch was my trainer told me that I needed to get some high value treats and I can't believe I'm saying this but I went to this pet shop near me and I got him some of these like really expensive buffalo treats and I rocked up at this training session and Sue said oh what treats have you got for him so I showed her these buffalo treats and she was like I didn't mean like really expensive ones I meant like pieces of cheese or chicken something that smells great and you know that's going to be of high value to your dog that they're going to get really excited about so honestly that is how simple you have to keep it and I'm somebody who's written about dogs for quite a long time if I didn't know what high value meant and I thought you have to go and get some posh ones from the shop then the average man on the street isn't going isn't going to know either so you're going to have to explain it in really simple terms and then the final thing to think about is to just make sure that the journalist is interested in the topic that you cover as well. So, you know, make sure that like I get lots of emails about all kinds of different types of stories, but the main area that I cover is pets. Um, I used to do quite a bit about relationships, but I don't really do that so much now. But sometimes I'll get emails about, um, you know, about parenting and babies. And I've never written about parenting or babies, I don't think for the past like 20 years. So make sure that the person who you're contacting or you know, you're know you planning on contacting is interested in your topic. I was talking about this um, on Twitter quite recently and I said something about, you know, most, most newspapers are interested in stories about pets and this one guy popped up and said, actually, um, where I used to work, the editor hated pets and they just had a blanket ban on it. So, you know, if you'd have looked at the, if you'd have approached that particular publication, you wouldn't have got anywhere because they didn't have any pet stories, which I know sounds a bit absurd at the moment. Um, but, you know, that was the case. So make sure that the person you're approaching is going to be interested in your topic. So don't approach the politics reporter with a story about a chihuahua. OK, so now for the don'ts. So, again, I asked a few uh, journalist friends um, about this topic and got some tips and tricks from them. So one of them is from Jill Foster, who runs a group called Feature Me. And she said, really important not to be salesy. So if you, let's say if you get invited on the radio to talk about, you know, cat grooming or dog training, you're going to be going on there as an expert, as an expert cat groomer or an expert dog trainer. And that's how they'll introduce you. So they'll, you know, they'll say, you know, Rachel Spencer, dog trainer or whatever your name is. And um, when you're on there, you just want to chat about your topic. You want to... Um, you know, you want to answer the questions, you want to be helpful, you want to do the thing that they've asked you to go in there to do. What you don't want to be doing is be saying, oh, and I've got this amazing dog training package, or I've got this, or I've got that. You're there to be interviewed, you're there to be, to give your expert comment, you're there to help their listeners. So naturally, at the end, they're going to say to you, so how can people find out more about you? Or is there anything else that you'd like to say? 
that's the point where you can say, yep, if you, you know, if you're looking for any more training tips, do head over to my website and you can mention your website. Or you can say, I've actually got, you know, some new puppy classes happening at such and such a venue or where they can find out more. That's the point where you can, you know, you can tell people where they can find out more about you. You can give the call to action. If you are being interviewed and you're saying, yes, well, at, you know, Waggy Tails, Pet Services, we do this, that and the other, it's just going to be jarring for the interviewer. It's just going to look like you've got on air and all you want to do is promote yourself and they won't, they'll find that annoying. The listeners will find that annoying. You're not there to sell, you're there as an expert and you won't be asked back. And that's a really important thing that we want, isn't it? We want to be the go-to person. We want to be asked to go back over and over again. So don't be selly, don't be salesy. You will get a chance to mention what it is that you do and how people can find out more about you. So just wait until that happens. Um, so the next thing is don't be afraid of sharing your own personal stories and experience. So I was chatting to Sophie who helps me out. She does um, some virtual assistant work for me and she's got another client called Hannah Antrobus. Um, and Hannah is a dog trainer. She trains spaniels. And um, she is really, really good at sharing her own personal experiences and stories. So um, I actually heard Hannah on another podcast talking about how she'd shared something on social media about her own dog, where her own dog had basically jumped in a stream, was trying to get a stick from the bottom of the stream, wouldn't come out. Hannah's boyfriend had taken a video of this dog being really naughty and not doing as he was told and shared it on social media and people just loved it. And that is really, really, although you might think, oh my gosh, why would a dog trainer share a, a video of their dog misbehaving? And, you know, surely they should want to be perfect. They should want to be doing everything right. They shouldn't be putting that out into the world. Actually, I think that makes makes Hannah really real and really relatable. And her followers and her clients absolutely love this video. And also we want to, like we hear, we hear and see so much about vulnerability now, don't we? And we want to, I think, it, I think we do really well when we show that actually we're not perfect. We haven't got it all figured out. You know, we have struggles too. So if you are like an expert, you're a leader in, in your field, whatever it is that you do, if you've got, you know, if you've got your own personal experiences of when, of when things haven't always been perfect for you, when you haven't always had it figured out, when things have gone wrong, that's actually really, really powerful. And that's really going to help you connect. But it's also going to make you come across as a real nice, humble, relatable person. And again, that's going to create a good impression on the listener good impression on the reader, a good impression on, you know, on the journalist as well. You're giving them something a little bit different and it's going to make them more likely to come back to you. If you're, you know, just talking about being very stuffy and very dull and just talking about your area of expertise, people are just going to, you know, people, are, the listeners, the readers are just going to zone out a little bit. Yes, they're getting the really helpful information, but if you make it relatable and you make it real and you make it, you know, you you make people remember you and that's really important isn't it the next thing i'm going to bring up is a real stickler and i have this i have people challenge this on quite a regular basis but another thing that can really um really be a little bit awkward when dealing with journalists is if you refuse to give personal information so things like your age your marital status where you live um, and what you do for a living so there are some circumstances where you you know you would not share your identity perhaps if you were involved in a court case or something like that fine but if you are talking about you know your business or you're sharing expert sharing expert comment or if you are um let's say if you're sharing a real life story and the journalist asks you how old you are 
The reason why they're asking you how old you are is to give context to the story. It's not because they are being ageist. It's not because they want to embarrass you because you're old or young, or they want to show that your age has any reflection on what it is that you're saying. It's simply to give context to the story, and it's also for accuracy as well. So having your age in there means that the reader or listener or viewer can identify you as the right person in the story. So without particularly, you know, if you're not photographed, then there could be a case of mistaken identity. You could be mixed up with somebody else with your name from your area. Um, so that's why journalists will ask you for your age and other personal information. So if you, you know, you're going in the paper or you're going in a magazine or wherever it is that you're going and you want to promote your business, if you're going to, um, you know, if you're going to not give that, you know, you're, you're getting publicity or promoting your business, you've got a great opportunity there not giving your age or where you live or you know your your status is going to stand in the way of doing that um so i would always advise that you know if you're asked your age and simple facts about you um that you you do kind of give people that the next thing i would say not to do is complain unless it's warranted so if um let's say there is a really small typo or they've used, you've sent off four photos and they've used one which you don't really like, or you know, they've you've you've been quoted but your quotes have been chopped down. That isn't a reason to complain. Unless your quotes have been taken out of context, then that's different. So if you know, if you said one thing and it's been it's been turned into something completely different, then you know, if it's a glaring inaccuracy, then get in touch with the journalist, raise it with them, and they will put it right. Um another thing that that happens sometimes is you could spend like you know you could spend an hour on the phone to a journalist but the final story might only go it might be edited down to like 300 words now that is completely out of the journalist's control it's down to the editors who who you know who edit the stories and cut them down and take things out and put things back in um so you know that is out of the journalist's control just because you spent a long time talking to them about lots of different topics the work will be edited, so please bear that in mind. It will be out of their control. Um, the most important thing is is that your name is mentioned in there. So you know when people Google you, they will find the article. So do try not to complain unless it is warranted. Um, another thing that I would advise you against doing is demanding things. So. Demanding things like having your link put in there or having a link to a page where people can, you know, buy things from you being put in the article. Now, by all means, you can you can say if you let's say if you've got like a charity event, you can say, oh, would it be would it be OK for me to send you the, you know, the link to where people can buy tickets or would it be OK for me to send you the link to the website or would it be OK to send you the link to whatever it is that you want to send them to, you know, my perfect puppy guide but you can't demand that it's put in there. If you get a link in there, great, it's a bonus, um, but you can't demand they put it in the paper because otherwise they're most likely to turn around and say, actually, if you're demanding that, that I put in a link to your charity event or your product that you want people to go and buy, this is getting more to, this is getting more like being an advert and you actually need to go and speak to the advertising department and go and put your hand in your pocket and pay for an advert. So um, again, Another thing not to do is if the article goes in, um, you know, then call up and say, please, will you put the link into my, you know, page where you can go and buy whatever it is that, that you want the people to go and buy. They won't be able, they probably won't be able to do that. So there are some situations where 
I've had people approach publications and they have had links put in. Um, one recent one actually was a lady called Vicky Gunn who's coming on the podcast next week. She had Mrs. Hinch um, stay at her beach huts. So Hello, I think it was Hello Magazine did something about Mrs. Hinge going to these beach huts. And Vicky was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. I'm in Hello, you know, I'm in Hello Magazine on their website talking about my beach huts. And she, te she sent me a message and said, oh, what do you think? Do you think I should ask for a link? And I was like, do you know what? In that situation, yeah, go and, go and you know, they've already written about you. I think as a small business owner, it's okay for you to send them a message and say, do you know what? I'm so pleased that you've covered Mrs. Hinge coming to my beach huts. It's so, so amazing. I just wondered, would there be any way that you might be able to include a link? And she did that. And the journalist actually said, yeah. Now that's a little bit different because the journalist has written about her. So, and she's approaching them and asking for something very, very small in return. If you're approaching the journalist and saying, please write about me. Oh, and by the way, I want you to do this. And by the way, I want you to link to a sales page. And by the way, I want you to put in my website. That's going to, that's going to damage, potentially damage the relationship that you've got with them. So I would always include, always, you know, when you send off whatever it is that you're sending to them, put your website link in, but you can't demand that it's going to go in there. And if it doesn't go in there, then, you know, so be it. Okay. So the next thing is to not be not kind of sound wooden and you know like you've rehearsed everything that you're saying so when I'm working with people I do generally tell them if they're do if they're given an interview I, I always say have a think about you know the key messages that you want to get across make some notes and keep referring back to your notes when you're chatting to the journalist so you make sure that the you know the, what you want to get across in the piece is covered now, by that, I don't mean kind of reading from a script. I mean, just, you know, working it in naturally into the conversation. So if you're, let's say if you're doing, let's say if you're talking about, you know, the importance of preparing your dog for when a new baby comes into your home, you would have maybe have like three things that you would always recommend that parents do. So one of my clients who I'm working with at the moment, Aileen Stevenson, this is exactly what she does. So she might have three top tips. So if she was chatting to a journalist, she was, and they would, most likely ask for you know some tips she would have those ready but they wouldn't she won't be reading them from a piece of paper saying and and say make sure the dog knows where the crater is she would just say them in a nice chatty and natural way so have some bullet points ready but don't sound like you know you're reading from a script it's all pre-rehearsed it's wooden don't be boring basically and then the final thing is particularly with if you're sharing um if you're being interviewed as an expert really feel quite strongly about this don't be precious with your knowledge so if you've been approached to give an expert guide on whatever the topic is again cat grooming how to prepare your puppy how to prepare your 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 dog for when you're having a child whatever the topic is you might feel like you're giving away your best advice for free so the journalist is most likely to ask you to go into a lot of details about training or grooming or whatever it is that you're, you've been invited to talk about. So please be prepared to give it. Now, you have got this brilliant opportunity to put yourself out there as an expert, to get your expert advice out there and seen by lots of different people. And the idea behind all of this is, the idea behind getting publicity is that you raise your profile so you are the expert 
in your area. You are the go-to person. You are the person who's all over Google. If you then say, oh, well, I'm only going to tell you this little bit because I, I save all my really good stuff for people who are paying me, the journalist is going to be like, well, I don't want to speak to you. I'm not going to, I don't want to speak to you again because you're just being precious with your knowledge. I'm here trying to write a guide for our readers. I've come to you as an expert you're now saying you you only want to give me half of the story. You don't want to help my readers because you want people to pay you for what it is, what it is that you've got to talk about. Now, the idea is people will read the article, listen to you, read the, read the magazine, read the website, however it is they consume that media. And then they will think, oh, wow, she sounds like she knows what she's talking about. They'll recommend you to the friends. They'll book in for sessions with you. They'll book in for one-to-ones. They'll book in for classes. They'll go and buy you things. So this is why we do what we do. So if you're precious with your knowledge, then what's going to happen next is the journalist is going to just choose another dog trainer or another expert for whatever piece they do next time. What you want to be is you want to be the expert that they go to all the time. Now, when you're if you're worrying about giving away your best stuff, just have a think about all the millions of dog training books out there or animal books there are out there where people can learn whatever they want. You can go to Google and learn about anything that you want to just by going, you know, scouring around on Google. But when you want something fixing, you call in an expert, don't you? We could work out how to, you know, fix our toilets. But really, if you want to get your toilet, if you've got a problem with your toilet, you want to get a plumber around, don't you? You don't want to be tinkering around in it on your own because you don't want to get it wrong. So if you're quoted as the expert in your field in the media repeatedly, over and over again, you're rising above the other people in your area who are not. And that's really, really fantastic when it comes to people recommending you, when it comes to people finding you online, and when it comes to people booking in with you. So I've said this phrase quite a few times, you want to be the journalist go-to person, you want to be the person your local publications get on the phone whenever they're writing about pets. Whatever the topic, if it's grooming, training, walking, caring for pets, whether it's products, you want as many journalists to know about you, as many journalists to recommend you, as many journalists as possible to be, you know, bigging you up and sharing what it is that you do. So hope you found that helpful. Um, I've talked a lot there. Um, I've waffled on quite a bit as well, shared lots of different examples and stuff, but I feel quite strongly about this. Um, I feel that there's so much opportunity out there for pet business owners and pet professionals. And by following these kind of really simple do's and don'ts, you're going to make it a lot easier for journalists to want to deal with you and to want to come back to you over and over again. And let's remember that when, you know, when you're being quoted in these articles or you're going on the radio or on the TV or in a magazine or even on a blog or a website, you're not just reaching, you know, 150 people like you might do with a Facebook post. You're reaching potentially millions of people all over the world. Even if you're in like a, like one of my clients, Karen, she's regularly, like when I say regularly, at least like a few times a month in her local paper and on, on their website. So she's reaching like, you know, probably 60,000 people every time. That's a lot of people, isn't it? So that's why I've kind of got on my soapbox a little bit about, you know, how to, um, you know, how to get the most out of your relationships with journalists. So I hope you found it helpful. Um, and what I talked about at the beginning, about the Andrew Cotter thing, about the other very well-known dog trainer who's on the TV all the time, have a look at what they've, you know, have particularly with with, um, with Graham Hall, the dog trainer, go and have a look at what he's done, have a look at his background, have a look at where he's got to, how he's got to where he is today. And you might not agree with his methods, but if you go and just follow some of the things that he's done, then it can start to help you 
you know, really stand out from the competition, really raise your profile and potentially follow in his footsteps with your methods. So I hope you found that helpful. Um, let me know if you, um, if you agree with what I've said here. And if you disagree, then that's absolutely fine as well. I'm all for a little bit of debate every now and then. Um, I, hope, um, I hope you get something from it. And do let me know if you get any press coverage as well from listening to this podcast. Do come and see me in my free Facebook group, which is Publicity Tips for Pet Businesses and come and say hi, come and join in, have lots of, we've got loads of brilliant pet businesses in there, loads of collaboration opportunities, great networking, all of those things. Um, so yeah, it would be wonderful to see you there and I hope you have a, rest, a lovely rest of the day. Thank you for listening to the Publicity for Pet Businesses podcast. For more free resources and ways to promote yourself as a pet entrepreneur, visit www.publicityforpetbusinesses.co.uk.